We are into our new sermon series. I tried to cast larger vision last week to um, the whole next 30 weeks. But now we're into a 10-week section, Think Like Jesus. Uh, core truths for our faith. So we'll go week by week to particular truths. We'll look at the scripture from which they are drawn and given to us. And this morning, I want to answer the question. There'll be a key question and a key passage with each week. But the question is this, who is God? How do we know who God is? How do we identify who is God and who is God not? All of these questions get wrapped up in that one. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of John, and I want to set the uh, character here. John 14 through 17 are four chapters that we call the upper room discourse. It's Jesus speaking and praying to his disciples hours before he is betrayed and then crucified. So we're in a cycle, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. He's with his closest friends and he speaks. And the guy who records this, John, was there. And to make sure that his memory didn't get clouded, he was there with his friends to remember this moment and these words. And to make sure, because these words are so important, to make sure that it stayed right on track, we'll read this morning that the Holy Spirit himself would call to memory and care for the recording of these words. That we might hear them and then pray for God to illumine from the pastor to your hearts and minds all that he would have to say for us. So this is from somebody who is there in John chapter 14, remembering the words of Jesus. Out of appreciation and reverence for that, I'll ask that as you're able, if you would stand. Uh, We do this in all our communities at this point, and I will read beginning at John 14, verse 6. John answered, uh, Jesus answered, (laughs) I'm sorry, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, and you can picture Philip kind of looking around quizzically, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father, said Jesus. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing this work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence. See, Jesus is encouraging us to look at the evidence of the works themselves. A little later, next chapter, but that same speech in that night, but the advocate that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Again, a little later in the night, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Then a little later, we're into the next chapter, 
chapter 16. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, that is the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine. And that is why I said the spirit will receive me what he will make known to you. What he, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and let's take a moment and pray. Father, these are words at one level that a person wrote down and that people have preserved across centuries and that I will now try to open up and explain. And yet, because of the promise of Jesus and because of the real work of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth, we know that you were at work to illumine John's mind and his memory as he recorded, to bring the community to clarify and sharpen and then to preserve, so that now by your grace, we can open this book and read. And again, by your promise and your activity, you will illumine our hearts and minds to receive more than we could ever figure out on our own. So we thank you that you have been at work and we ask you to continue to be at work in this moment. Guard your people from my own um, confusion and silliness and brokenness. But in all things, help us to see and know Jesus more deeply. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in us to transform us, to metamorphosize us into that glorious image to which we have been rescued. We give you thanks and make uh, our prayer in your name, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, we begin this week with this question of who is God? And so it's right that we take a moment and figure out how do you go about finding out who God is? If we're going to pursue that question, then we've got to ask who, uh, how do we figure that out? Um, who is he and how do we answer that question? I want to start this morning by saying one way to begin is to take a look at the world. And that's a question we can offer to anybody, believer or unbeliever. But for those of you who want to begin, like I do, with where Jesus starts, he would say, take a look at God's world. You see, the scripture itself encourages us to examine the world around us as God's handiwork. That's part of the motivation for science, and we affirm that. It's a source of gaining some knowledge about God. Our, our own Belgic Confession, again, speaks of the book of nature that will make things about God clear. In Psalm 19, we read, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. But here's the interesting thing. Verse three, they have no speech. They use no words, no, no, word, no sound is heard from them. So they make something clear, but there's something missing. Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, for example, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 
So the scripture says, take a look, and we won't spend a lot of time doing that. But you can deduce that God is mighty. What an amazing creation we see. But we would never deduce that the God who is mighty would be willing to lay aside his glory and go to the cross for you and for me. Is he mighty? Yes. Would he be a savior? Not so sure. You see, friends, creation will give us part of the story, but not all. There are three roadblocks to knowing who God is if we just look at this world. I'll hit them quickly. The first is that our perception, our ability to perceive, to do science, if you will, is limited. God is bigger than my mind. My mind is smaller than God. So to limit myself to only what I can perceive and understand means I will have a limited view of reality and of God. But the problem's worse. You see, my perception is also tainted. Our perspective when we look at this world is gonna be altered by pride or by fear or by self-centeredness. Social scientists will talk about confirmation bias we're prone to only see what confirms my choice. You see, we come to the observation broken and tainted. And even more, even if none of that was true, God's world is damaged. We could examine the world accurately, but the world itself has been bent by our sin. Mary Lynn and I were talking over breakfast this morning pondering the question, will there be mosquitoes in heaven? We both assume not, though there might be a chance that they will be there and doing something different than just bothering me. But you see, the world that we see and perceive and measure and examine has been tilted and is broken. Anytime we try to answer the question, who is God, using only our own ability to look at the world around us, we will come up short in a word, we'll come to the wrong conclusions. So what shall we do? God has an answer, friends, and it's revelation. Not the book at the end of the Bible, but the process that we can know God. Why? Because God himself makes himself known to us. God's answer to these three roadblocks that I pointed out previously, the answer is not more degrees from more seminaries. I've got those, but God has made himself known to us. It's not joining the perfect denomination or church. I've been a part of a number of churches. I've led them. I've been a part of several denominations. Here's a secret that I'll say publicly. There's no such thing as a perfect denomination, church, or pastor. Just doesn't exist. We also won't begin to get a better sense or deal with the three roadblocks by running out people with honest questions. No, here's the truth, friends. God himself makes himself known to us. In Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14, we read this. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Here's the promise, I will be found by you. The promise is not, you will be so bright that you will finally get the message, it's that when I see you bumping around, 
in the dark, lost. I will be found by you. Friends, there is good news. God makes himself known to us. He is at work to make himself truly known, even if incompletely known. Let me give you four quick ways that Scripture teaches us that we see that happen. This is our hope. The first is this, that God himself acts in the story of others. By this, I'm referring specifically to the Hebrew Bible about God. That Bible is really about God. You know, sometimes we bring something to the Scripture, and so we miss its message. Here's an example. If you think of God, who is God, and you answer that in your heart like, well, he's a coach for helping me to live my best life now. If you think that's what God is, then you'll read the Bible as if it was an instruction book for getting what you want. If you think God is a performance judge holding you to his standard, then you will think obedience is what the Bible is about. But when you realize that God is making himself known, and as you know him on his terms, you'll begin to see what he's like and what he calls us to, and you'll see something very different than a performance coach or a judge. He speaks in the stories of others, And so the stories in the Old Testament are primarily about God and his character. Here's an example. Abraham, we read in Genesis 15, 6, believed God, and then it says God credited that to him as righteousness. So we learn that God will credit righteousness to people who believe. Abraham is not a model of what it means to be a good husband. Abraham is not a model of what it means to to be a good person because he fell into sin many times. But we do learn something about God, that he would credit righteousness to those who believe. So God himself acts in the stories of others. God himself shows up, and by this I mean Jesus is God with a bod. Jesus is God in the flesh. We see a human being when we see Jesus in history. But this human being, unique of all, is both fully human and fully divine. God himself shows up. He doesn't only send a prophet. He shows up. Jesus presents himself this way. Those around him came to believe it. And the scripture from beginning to end points us towards that understanding. Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a fully self-actualized human being. He's God in the flesh. Our Muslim and Jewish neighbors disagree with us on this. We need to be polite and civil, but we need to understand there's a different conclusion about who Jesus is. That Jesus is God himself is the clear message of the New Testament, and it helps us see that message all through the Old Testament. It's given to us by people who knew Jesus and listened to the words he spoke. Even more, a third thing, God himself continues with us in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling in our own lives, the illuminating of our minds, 
God is as active today in his people as he has ever been. The question is not, will God illumine? The question is, will we follow and receive? Finally, I love how God shows up in relationship with others. And by this, I'm thinking the history of the community of God's people. Um, Friday, I was in Indiana at a gathering of evangelical Presbyterian ministers, my denomination. And we talked about, um, in, in study groups, we talked about how Jesus is present through the power of the Holy Spirit in communion. And much of what we read and studied had been written centuries earlier. You see, God has placed us in the midst of a world movement of his grace that crosses cultures. And sometimes there are things I can learn from people long ago in history. Sometimes there are things that I can learn from people in a different culture in my own moment. Sometimes there are things that I can learn through people I'm accountable to in a congregation. But we learn and we see and he makes himself known in the course of relationship. That's because he is the God who is relationship. This is a moment where, had I hours, I would begin to dig in and unpack the historic biblical doctrine of the Trinity. I think it's critical to know. And I've put in the celebration inform that went out Thursday night some links. You can see a two-minute video, a three-minute video. I mean, watch two minutes of that teaching and then ponder it for 10. It's good that we know that, but here's all I want to do in this moment. We, after all, the Lions play the one o'clock game, so I don't want to keep you for several hours. That was a joke, friends. That's about as good as I get today. It's been a tough week. All I want you to see today is that everything we read in John today, the words of Jesus, that lays out all that we need to know about the triune God. Go back and meditate through these scriptures. Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father, chapter 14, verse 6. See, there's something unique about Jesus and the Father there. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's John 14, 9. Look at that connection. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. John 14, 10. The Spirit sent by the Father in the name of Jesus will remind and teach. Why is that? Because they are together, expressive, separate people, same Godhead. The Spirit will speak only what he hears, chapter 16, verse 13. Friends, the triune nature of the one true God is present all through the Scripture, Genesis to Revelation. The Believe book for this week, chapter 1, incorporates a number of those biblical texts I want you to see that right there in John, the upper room conversation, he lays out everything from his mouth that we need to know about the triune God. I want to give it to you in three key terms, united. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are united in purpose. They're equal in status and value. The Father is not greater than the Son and the Spirit, not less than the Father. They are equal, and they are distinct. The Father will give the Spirit, who will speak the words of Jesus, united, equal, and distinct. 
Now, it's become popular of late to tell people that the doctrine of the Trinity is something foisted onto believers centuries after Jesus, that to know Jesus, you don't have to know the Trinity. I beg to differ. Listen to what Jesus says in the upper room and everything that's incorporated several centuries later in the doctrine of the Trinity is right there. Yes, I hear people say that the Bible and Jesus do not teach the doctrine of Trinity, that it's just people in power oppressing others with a different perspective by imposing this foreign doctrine on them. No, don't believe it. In my study and reflection, nothing could be further from the truth or more self-serving. This is a truth not imposed by the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. I prefer to see it as it took three centuries of prayer, discussion, articulation to finally set down in a distinct focused doctrine what they had met and heard from Jesus. Took three centuries to get that far and articulate it. So I'm not thinking I can make it clear to you in 30 minutes. But it grew out of and it expresses what Jesus said to them. Another picture I often think of. You know, we have one God, three persons. It's not unlike one family, a family unit with multiple persons. They are one, but they're equal. They're united in a healthy family, and they're distinct. See, this brings us to this key point, friends. Jesus is the lens for understanding God. To understand the Trinity, I want to start with the words of Jesus and see how Jesus answered the question, who is God? And that's how we get to the Trinity. Jesus is the way to understand. Remember I talked about how if you think of God as a performance coach for living your best life now, you'll see the Bible as an instruction book for getting what you want. When you see the Bible as the revelation, God giving us an understanding of who he is, you'll begin to grasp that God is bigger than my ability to conceive. One substance, three persons, one Godhead, three equal, distinct, united. It's the way to look at God's actions and his attributes. His actions, take the Exodus event. You see that in light of a God who rescues. His attributes take justice. As Jesus is just, he's the one who shows us when he disrupts the unfair business practice, practices of the money changers. That's what justice looks like. Jesus is the lens to understand God. I want to close with a reflection on why this is so important and why this matters. And I'll tell you a story. This is a family that I ministered to in another time and a place. You do not know them. You could not chase them down. I can protect their confidence. But a husband approached me, and he was fairly irate. He was bothered by the problems of his children, as well as his wife, who would not impose his desires upon his children. And remember, now again, I'd spent time, years really, with the children, with the husband, with the wife, knew them. These were people I had a deep relationship with. They would all claim to be believers. And remember this husband looking at me and saying, you know, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
and he's made an order for the family, the husband, the wife, and the children. And just like God tells the son what to go do, I've been telling my wife what to go do, and she won't do it. And you know what I told him? I, I repented of the first several things. So that I could get to the point where I'd said, you know, because you misunderstand God, you misunderstand yourself. What he had powerfully articulated is a historic heresy called subordinationism. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit don't live in a hierarchy. They are co-equal, co-eternal. See, what he needed to do, not that he followed my counsel, was to repent of a false understanding of God and begin to see in his wife a mystical one flesh union, that the two might be distinct and equal, but also united in caring for their children. A misunderstanding about God, the heresy of subordinationism, led to a misunderstanding about what his life was meant to be. He was not king of his household. He was a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king called to live out the gospel. And that misunderstanding had real life consequences, tension in the marriage, broken relationship with kids, eventually marriage and family completely melting down. Misunderstand God, you'll misunderstand what it means to be a human being. That misunderstanding will bring heartache to your life. Final thought, I want to tell you something, friends. There is only one true God, and we need to get that right because it has consequences just like I laid out. Here's the next thing I'd say. I myself do not know or completely understand that one true God. The knowledge I have of God for all my degrees and all my experience and all my study and all my prayers is less than he is. He's bigger than me. I do not fully comprehend him. On a good day, I've got a pretty reasonable working approximation is my hope. But that one true God has entered into the world. So he might be a part of what I live in and what you live in. And by his grace, he's invited you and me to know him. Maybe not completely, but truly. By his grace, he's leading me to a growing relationship with him. He invites you. He's leading you to that same thing. It includes a growing knowledge, a growing understanding, a growing application of that knowledge, but it's day by day by day, his good work to meet us, to shape us, and to bear his fruit in us. I invite you to that. A real God in real time and space to make a real difference. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that you've loved us, and you've loved us so much that you would enter in to this broken world. And where we have broken it, and where it has broken us, by your marvelous grace, you have entered in, 
and called us to yourself. In the context of that relationship, you're teaching us, you're informing us. Uh, we, we learn to live in community more faithfully with you. So thank you for your presence. Thank you that you were at work to illuminate and to call to memory and to fill us with a hope. And I thank you that you've promised to meet us here at this table. The world sees simple things. We hear the voice of a magnificent God beyond our ability to conceive, but who would condescend to speak into human language, come to me. We give you thanks and pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people sit together. Amen.